Well, it's a good day to talk about light. We got plenty of light outside. We started last week looking at the parable in Luke chapter 8 where it says, No one, when he has a lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. And nothing, or nor nothing hidden, that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed now how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. He said to no one, when he has a lamp, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel. When we have light given to us, when we have light on the inside of us, it doesn't benefit us if we cover it up. Now the parable before, it was the enemy who came by to try and snatch the seed, snuff out the seed, choke the seed, so forth. But here, the person who lit the lamp is the person who can cover it up. So we looked at why in the world we would want to cover up light. Well, sometimes it shows us something that's embarrassing. Sometimes it reveals something we don't necessarily want to see. We don't consider it to be important. Things of this nature. But it says here, take heed how you hear. That's something we have to make sure that we, we are careful about. Take heed how you hear. Sometimes we hear something as amusing. Sometimes we hear it as less than what I already know. We hear it as unnecessary. We hear it with pride. And all these things will take what we hear and make it less than what it's supposed to be in our life. We have to make sure that we hear it with humility. Just as in the soils, we will be tempted to put our light under a covering. But don't do that. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, just because he's the light of the world doesn't mean that all the world benefits from his light. Because he follows that up by saying, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. So if you don't follow him, you'd be walking in darkness. Even though he is the light of the world. Just because God bestows something upon the world does not mean that the world takes advantage of it or walks in it. He is the light of the world. But it's only those who follow him who will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He also says in Psalms 119 and 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We know the Word of God has a lot to say about light. And we need to get the light of God into our life. I need to make sure that I have all that God's light brings for me. And in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 4, But these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So understand, he's writing some things for us that will help our joy to be full. 
These things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now I have a note on this. God is light. God as to his nature is light. Is light. The nature of God is light. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if I say that I follow him, but I don't, I walk in darkness. Another way of phrasing what we saw in John chapter 8. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, you see that if there means that it is possible for me not to walk in the light. Just because God is the light of the, Jesus is the light of the world, just because he is the light of the world, and just because I know about him, and just because I show up at church, does not mean I will walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Not just walk in the light, but walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So God, as to his nature, is light. This, um, well, we'll come back to that here in a minute. But it says that in him is no darkness at all. So I wrote down some things that darkness is. This is not an all-inclusive list. You could probably add some more things to it. But first off, darkness is untruth. It is unknown. It is uncertain. If something is in darkness, it's unknown. If the room is dark, who's in the room with you? I don't know. I don't know if anybody's in the room with me. It's, there's there's un, unknown things there because of the darkness. Things are uncertain because of the dark. What is that? I'm not sure what that is. It's dark. You turn a light on, then you can see. Darkness is deception. Deception comes from darkness. Those who deceive are said to be in darkness. Darkness is danger. Most of the time that we are fearful is because there's darkness around and I can't see what threats might be around. You know, people, people will say, well, don't go out at nighttime. It's dark out there. <laughs> but in the daytime, you just go right on out. But notice he says this, If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If I have trouble in the area of fellowship with other believers, it could very well be that I'm not walking in the light as I think. Somehow darkness has gotten in. Make sure that you're walking in the light. And check yourself. How are you doing with other believers? If you constantly have trouble with other believers, more than likely you're walking in darkness, but think you're walking in light. See, this is a warning because there are some people who think they're in the light, but they're not. They're in darkness. And so here's one way that you can tell. Do you have problems with other Christians? Or do other Christians constantly not measure up? You're probably walking in darkness. In Psalms chapter 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You see, in the light there's no, there's no danger. I don't, I don't feel the, the same kind of danger. I don't feel the, the fear. It doesn't come upon me. When fear comes upon me, it's generally because darkness has set in somewhere. Now remember, in the, when we first looked at the parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 8, we saw that you had a light and you took that light and you put it under a covering. If you put a light under a covering, you haven't extinguished the light, but you prevented it from being effective. It can't do what it's supposed to do in your life because you have covered it up. In John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now look at verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now we could spend some time looking at that word comprehend in the Greek. And breaking that down. But instead of doing that, I'm just going to give you a couple of the translations that will translate this a little bit better for you. The first one comes from the New Living Translation. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The ESV reads this way. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The Williams Translation reads this way. So the light continues to shine in darkness for the darkness has never overpowered it. Weast. And the light in the darkness is constantly shining. And the darkness did not overwhelm it. You see, light cannot overtake darkness. I'm sorry, darkness cannot overtake light. Light always chases out the darkness. Now we're going to just spend a little more time on a few more verses. I want you to look at the concept of life Light, and then I want you to see it in an example. In Luke chapter 11, verse 33, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So he says there, the lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. How you see things determines what comes into you, light or darkness. This is why the enemy likes to give you thoughts about other people that are negative. Because if you can, he can get you to see other believers and to think and to contemplate negative things, then the light coming into you is darkness. If he can get you to look at the Word of God with confusion and not see it for, for the truth that it is, then the light that comes in you is darkness. If he can get you to look at the events that go on about your life and to see them in a bad and a negative way, then the light that comes in you is not light, but it's darkness. And the light that we walk in is truly darkness, but we think it's light. And that goes in with Jesus' other teaching. If the light that is in you is darkness, 
How great is that darkness? You see, if I know I'm in the dark, that's one thing. But when I think I'm in the light, but I'm actually in the dark, how are you going to fix that? People will come up to you and say, hey, you're in the dark. No, I'm not. I'm in the light. And we can't hear it. But darkness cannot overtake the light. We know that. And so what the devil knows he has to do is to cover, get you to cover the light. He can't cover it. You have to do it. He has to get you to take that illumination and cover it up. Keep it from illuminating and and working in your life. Those are things we don't want to have going on. Let's go on here and, and look at one more verse. I put in your outline this. This is the importance of looking at things the way God says to. When God says to believe the best in people, there's a reason for it. Because otherwise you're letting darkness get in. When God tells you to love your brethren, there's a reason for it. Otherwise you're letting darkness get in. When He says don't worry and be anxious about anything, there's a reason for it. If you do, you're going to let darkness in. He doesn't want you to have darkness in. He wants you to be full of light. Psalm 119, verse 130. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So we need to let his word come in and give us light. Now, that's a lot of scriptures on light, but I want you to see it in practical application and how this works. So there's going to be a whole lot of scriptures we're going to read. We're not going to get into these in any great detail. But this is a story that you all are probably familiar with. But I want you to see this in the, in the light of light. In Second Chronicles, verse, chapter 34 and verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, 31 years reigning, eight years old when he took over the throne. How old did that make him when he died? 39. How many think that that's kind of young? And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, this is particularly amazing when you look at the father that Josiah had. And the reason that Josiah took the throne so young is because his father was murdered. He was killed. His father was not a follower of God. He followed the Baals and the Ashtoreths and and the the, uh, idols that the previous kings had, had followed. And so he died. He was murdered. And so Josiah took the throne. Now he got to be so evil that even the evil people around him wanted to get rid of him. That's how bad his father was. So this is the son. Now generally, if you have the son of an evil person, how, how righteous is that person? <laughs> For in the eighth year of his reign... All right, he became king at what age? Age eight. This is the eighth year of his reign. Now this isn't hard to do. Eight plus eight is? So he's 16 years old. This is the 16-year-old king. He's been reigning for eight years. Look what he does. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. Now, you got to look at the, the progression of this. The boy's eight years old. Eight years old. Think of an eight-year-old in your life. 
How much of God do they know? How actively do they, do they pursue God? They pursue Him very actively when they have parents who pursue God. I mean, two, three, four, five. They'll all pursue God very actively as long as mom and dad are pursuing God and steer them in that direction. But mom and dad did not steer this young man in this direction. They steered him in the ways of idols. And so he took the throne at eight years old and the people that are around him are probably people that are leading him in the same way his father did. But over the course of eight years, he began to pursue some of these things outside of, of idols. And he learned some things. And so by the time it says he was 16, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images. Now, I would imagine that a lot of these people who were not for God being part of Israel probably wanted the history of David to be kept quiet. They probably muffled that. We don't, we don't really need to hear about David. Uh, we don't need to hear about the early years of Solomon. Let's hear about the later years of Solomon when he was into idolatry and, and so forth. Then let's hear about the, the other kings who uh, pursued idolatry. Because if I want to take Israel into a place of idolatry, I have to put up people in the history who have gone in that direction. We can't put up people like David. But somehow he found out about David his father. And he began to pursue David, his father. What made David unique? What made the kingdom so prosperous under David? And he saw some of the things that David wrote because he's king. He can ask for stuff and people have to bring it. I want you to bring me some of the things about David. Oh, king, you don't want to know too much about him. He's kind of a crazy king. I I want to know about David. And so they had to bring them some stuff. And, you know, at eight years old, you can probably keep them quiet, but they get to be 10 and 11 and 12, and pretty soon he's starting to feel, I'm the king. And so he can, he can do a lot more uh, commanding. By the time he's 16, he's, he's in this role. And so he, he begins to say, I want to know about this, this kind of stuff. He says what, what they'll do a lot of times is they'll change in history. Just let's like they're doing in our country right now. Right now, our country is undergoing a rewrite of history. We're trying to rewrite who Thomas, Thomas Jefferson was. We're trying to rewrite who George Washington was. Do you know they have even re, re, uh, written who General Lee was? And now they have to go out there and take down all the statues and so forth. When General Lee never believed in slavery at all. In fact, was very much against it. And the only reason he fought on the side of the South, if you know history. If you don't know history, you just know what people tell you. Then you don't know that. But he didn't believe in, in slavery. The only reason he fought on the side of the South was because of his beloved Virginia, as he put it, had, had, had seceded. And he stayed with his state because his love for the state was so great. But he was within a day or two of becoming the general of the North. In fact, he was all ready to sign everything and take the job as being the general of the northern armies to rid the country of slavery, other things. And Virginia seceded, and he stayed with them. Anybody know that? But they've rewritten all that, and now you know they have to tear down General Lee statues and and all these these kind of things that you, you have to get rid of. We have to rewrite 
these things. We turn people like George Washington and others into non-God-fearing people. And we put things upon them that, uh, that, that we want. And I've, I know I've recommended this to you before, but if you want to he- read a really good history book about the founding of this country, read Pre- Peter Marshall's A Light in the Glory. You'll find out some things. He took some things right out of Columbus's diary and how he took authority over a, a twister on the water, water spout. Took authority, over, stood on the deck and took authority over the water spout and the thing skipped over their boat. And he tells stories about General Washington who rode his, his uh, horse. He was a taller man than most of them were. Rode his white horse often in the front of the battle and was not shot. Much more, much more stories. If you picture your interest, go out there and find that out. But these were people that were God-fearing. But of course, we rewrite it. So I don't know how much rewriting had gone on in, in his day. But I'm sure that there were some. But he began to seek the God of his father, David. Because he knew this was the God of David, not the, the God of his, the other kings that had come after. Because many of them had, had fallen away from from God. There were some who, who followed after God, but more who did not. And in the twelfth year, four years later, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molten images. Now, he was 16 when he began this. In the 12th year, that would put him at age 20. This is a 20-year-old king. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, the molten images, he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests of the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Twenty years old, and he is taking the, the landmarks that have become important in this country. The gods that they have spent decades worshiping, he's tearing them down. He's burning them up. He's scattering their dust. I mean, that takes some guts to be able to do that because there's people in the, in the government here who uh, don't want to be worshiping God. But he's taking the country in that direction. He's, and so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon as far as Nephtali and all around with axes. Now, this is of note because he is king of the southern kingdom Judah which does not consist of Manasseh, Ephraim, and, and these other countries. They don't, they don't have jurisdiction there. But he expanded what he was able to do up into these areas. They had... Um, well, we'll get into that uh, later on. And when he had broken down the altars and wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem in the 18th year of his reign. Now, I don't know if it took all those, all those years, but from 12 to 18 years, that's six years. Again, I don't know if it was all six years he spent, but it, the next time we have it here is the 18th year. So he spent a number of years going through the country and purging it of all this stuff. Now, if you were a king, they did all this in his presence. 
If you were a king, how many of you can think of better things to do with your time than to tour the country and burn things? But this is what he did. It was important. So he went around and he burned stuff. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the, the, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors and gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. So he first spent years getting rid of all the idols, all the high places, and the priests that sacrificed to them. And then he started working on the house of God. Then they put in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen, the builders, to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to, and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Johath, uh, Jahath, Abadiah, the, the Levites of the sons of Moriah and Zechariah, Meshulam of the sons of the Kohathites to supervise others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music who were, uh, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all the work did of all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. And now when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. This is how long they have not followed the things of God. The law was lost. Not only had they not read it, they didn't know where it was. They may not have even known that it existed. Now, if you wonder, how does he, how does he study the God of his fathers and we don't have the law of Moses? Well, apparently there were some things written that they were able to get. And some of the things maybe that David had written. And he studied those. But here, this was found. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hokiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now, how long does it take you to read the, the law of Moses? Now, don't think Deuteronomy. Uh, not even much of Exodus. You're looking Numbers and, and Leviticus. How long does it take you to read that? Now, especially Numbers. Numbers is particularly um, uh, pointed into what happens when you don't follow it. Deuteronomy as well has some parts in it. But Numbers in particular, uh, if you don't do this sort of stuff, this is what's going to happen. So, let's see what they what they found out. And he read it. So it sounds like, to me, that they read it in one sitting. That they just sat down and he just read it to them. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and 
Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. So she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her to that effect. And she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger for with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Now that was quite a involved word that this prophetess had delivered. And if you're, I don't think this just came off the cuff. I think she had this. And the reason I think this is if you were a prophetess of God in Judah and all these years the kings have been serving the idols and the people have been worshiping the idols and all around you has been going on idolatrous worship. And in another passage we're going to see how gross the idolatrous worship was. But all this was going on and then suddenly a king comes to the throne who begins to seek after God and begins to purge the land of the idols. What would you do as a prophetess? Would this take you by surprise? You'd be, oh, this is great. Father God, thank you for, for sending a man along this line to t- take our country back to these things. And you'd be praying for the man. Praying for him. to uh, For all that he's doing. And as if you are a prophetess and God speaks to you to give words to the to the kingdom, do you think that in the course of her praying for this king that God delivered a word to her about him. It could have even been, and we saw this in other places in the scripture, he's going to come and inquire of you and when he does, tell him this. So I think she had it ahead of time. But we don't know that from, from this passage. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which he had found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. Now how much the word word of the covenant was shorter than the all the law of Moses. It, it probably was shorter, but he still made the people come out and listen. These are people who were just formerly worshiping idols. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah, 
removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in, in Israel diligently serve the Lord your God all his days. They did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. That is quite a testimony. All the days of Josiah, they did not depart from following God. Even though God said, I'm going to bring all that stuff upon you. They still, well, we're still going to worship God anyway. This is what we're going to do. Now, let me show you some of the depravity that had gone on that Chronicles kind of glossed over. Now, the king sent them together. This is uh, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1. The king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, to perform the words of his covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the, the priests of the second order, the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple all the articles that were in, that were made for Baal. Where did they come out of? To bring out of the temple of the Lord. These people had become so depraved they took the worship of idols into the house of God. All the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. How many have ever heard the term host of heaven? If you've been around here for a few years, we talked to you about it. We had a song that put it in there in a positive light. But the Word of God does not use host of heaven in a positive light uses it in a negative way. And you're going to see that here. For There were articles of worship made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven in the temple. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem, and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. Two times for the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron, outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and ground it to ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the woman wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also he broke down the high places at the gates which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, and no man, that no man may make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. This is one of those gods that God says, I didn't even imagine that you would ever worship this one. But Molech was the one in which you would you would uh, offer your, your child up in this one. I believe uh, there's Kamosh and there was Molech. And I think it was Molech. It might have been Kamosh. One of them, it was an altar and the, um, the, the altar had hands. And the people would come and they would take their young baby and they would, the mom and dad would place the young baby in the hands of this idol. And a fire was lit in the idol so that it would heat up 
the metal of the idol. And the child would be basically fried in a frying pan. Now, could you as a mom or dad be able to... Can you imagine being able to do that? And uh, But it came Asha and Molech, they both... These were infant sacrifices, which is not too far away from what we get in this country with the things going on with abortion, which is why you need to be against it. And the people that uh, that practice it, it's amazing that the, the people and the way they deceive people into, into going along with it. They don't tell them all that goes on. They don't tell them the pain that the baby goes through. They don't tell them about the ripping apart that's, that's there. And uh, I, I get angry at the lawmakers and the people who continue to try to have this stuff go on. But here it was going on in a much smaller, much smaller degree than it goes on here. The United States has put far more babies to death than Israel ever did. It's, it's an important thing. And you look at the legislation that goes out and the, and the protests and the things that are, that are going on, it's important that we get this right. But let's go on with this. Where do we leave off at? 10. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber Nathan Malek, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of sun with fire and the altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down, pulverized there, and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and Kamosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was in Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place. He broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it in powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountains and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, uh, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. Remember, Bethel was in the northern tribes. It was set up by a nor- the first northern tribe king. And Josiah is of the southern tribe. And the prophet came out of the south and came up to the north and proclaimed that a king, Josiah by name, will desecrate this temple. And Jeroboam had to know that the greatest thing he feared was that the south would return or that the, the, his, his, his uh, ten nations would return to the south and serve under David. And this gave him uh, fuel for that, for that thinking. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones, so they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now, remember, there was two there that was, that was there. The, the one who uh, deceived him and the one who proclaimed the word. And they were both buried there. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds that had done in Bethel. He executed all the high priests 
all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them and he returned to Jerusalem. Now think about this. Remember the word that was given by the prophet who came up from the south was very specific. A king, Josiah by name, shall come and desecrate this temple. He will break it down. And he named all the things that were going to happen. Now Josiah has read this. Can you imagine Josiah's uh, shock when he reads a prophecy and it calls his name? A king, Josiah. Who? It said a king, Josiah. That's me. Yes, king. And it told him what was going to happen. So he made sure that he, he went up there to the north into the area of Bethel and he desecrated this temple and he tore down that, that image. One of those times we get to heaven, we'll have to ask Josiah, Josiah, what happened when you first heard about that prophecy? What was going on? Because obviously he knew about it. When he was there, he said, oh, this is, these are the bones. These are the bones. And, uh, and it, he's asking. The reason he's asking, whose bones are these? It's because he knows that the prophet was buried there. Because the story that told about the, uh, the prophecy also told that he was killed. And that he was buried there. So he's looking. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with his bones. I want the other bones. I don't want his bones. And so he's asking, whose bones are these? Whose bones are these? Well, those are the ones of the prophet. That's the ones I'm looking for. We're going to keep them right where they're at. He's looking for them. That's why he's asking. Moreover, Josiah put away, verse 24. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. You see, he found something in the house of the Lord. It gave him light. When it gave him light, he operated in it. This is what I want you to see throughout the life of Josiah. He took the throne at eight. And he had apparently a little light. And he used that light and he found more. And he used that light and he found more. And by the time he was 16, he had found enough light that he started to embark on some things. And then more light was found. And more light was found. And more light. And when they brought the law to him and they read the law, now he's got more light. And he doesn't cower and hide. He operates in that light. And then more light was given. You see, when he sought after the Lord, when he saw the words of the words, uh, the words of Moses, and he sought after the Lord, he says, go find out what the Lord has to say. And the Lord had more light for him. And the Lord gave him more light. And he operated in that light. And he kept getting light and operating in that light. He kept walking in that. Let's see. That he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Because this guy was unusual. There was a lot of darkness that had worked its way into these people and a lot of darkness that had worked its way into Josiah. And every time light would come, it would expose darkness and he would let it drive out the darkness and he'd go and get more light and that would drive out more darkness and he'd go and get more light and that would drive out more darkness and he'd go and get more light. And he kept doing this and he kept walking in more light. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations which 
with which Manasseh, you remember him, he was probably the most evil of all the kings, had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen in the house of which I said, my name shall be there. He walked in the light that he had. And then something happened. We're told about this huge Passover that he gave that was in the 18th year of his reign. Huge Passover. Nothing up to that point. They hadn't done the Passover at all. And so he says, we're going we're gonna to jump in there. Maybe Solomon's was bigger, but um, this was a big one. And in Second Chronicles chapter 35... Over at verse 19. I didn't copy that into my spot here, so I'm going to read it from the screen. Second Chronicles 35 and verse 19. All the verses in between here are talking about the Passover. We're going to pick up here right at the, at the end of, of the Passover. Because that's the part that's, that's mostly important to us. This is where the conflict came in. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. And after this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish, by the Euphrates and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house commanded... Uh, I'm sorry, but against the house... Uh, lost, our, lost our spot. That's all right. I usually have it up here. I don't use that to, <laughs> to do that. There it is. Yep. Which, which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Now stop it right there. Now look, here is a heathen king from Egypt. Apparently he had a word from God. And he knows this comes from the God that Josiah serves. And he says, I have no quarrel with you. And God probably even told him in this word, I want you to go up there and I want you to accomplish this purpose. But you leave Israel alone. Josiah is my man. And so he's he's going to go around them. He's not going to mess with, with Israel. He could have easily wiped them out. But he's not going to do it because he was told by God. He said, God who is with me, lest he destroy you. So understand, I can wipe you out right now. I don't want to. I want to go on here. Go on to the next one. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but dis, dis, uh, disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And did not heed the words of Necho. Now, why would you disguise yourself? Disguise yourself. Why in the world go into battle and disguise yourself? See, he, he already knows this is something's not right with this. Go on to the next verse. Uh, from the mouth of God, so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, "Take me away, for I am severely wounded." His servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. So they were sad that he died. They didn't want him to die. But why does he die? I mean, we already determined in the beginning this, this is a young guy. Why did he die young? Now here's a guy. He had a little bit of light at eight years old and he walked in that light and he got some more light. And then at 12 years old, he's walking in a lot more light and he goes after seeking more light and he gets more light. And he keeps walking in that and then he gets more and then walks in that and gets more and he walks in that and gets more. And in the 18th year of his reign, he has the biggest Passover celebration. He has Israel worshiping God and all the days of this king, they worship God. 
Now, he reigned for 31 years. So between 31 years and 18 years, we have very little that is told. Until the 31st year of his reign, King Necho from Egypt came up. And he was on a mission from God. We have no reason to doubt that he was on a mission from God. And he was going to go out there and accomplish it. And for some reason, Josiah walked away from the light that he had. Because up till now, God has told him, go out there and do this, go out there and take care of this, go out and fix this, go out and do... And he has done those things. And now he faces this king and somehow the enemy has got Josiah to turn his light or put it underneath a bushel, put it underneath a covering to cover it up and not walk in that light. And instead of going after God or having God illuminate his way and God say, that's not the way I have for you, Josiah, let King Necho go. Leave him alone. He decided, no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fight this guy. Maybe the deception came. You are a child of God. Don't let these folks go by here like this. They're going to turn their, themselves around. They're going to come after you. Whatever it was, it deceived him. And darkness came in. And it cost him his life. So look at this. A man who followed the light all the days of his life brought the greatest revival to Israel that there was. One day, turned away from the light and followed the darkness and died. Is it important that we follow the light? Oh, I'll tell you what it is. Don't let the light go. I put this in your outline. I believe walking in darkness causes confusion, fear, uncertainty. We will take on the traits of the father of darkness instead of the God of light. You don't want to be doing that. Don't cover up the light that you have. Don't cover it up. Keep that light before you. It is a light unto your path. It illuminates everything going on on the inside of you. See, if I have light on the inside of me, then if I got something wrong, it gets illuminated. I can take care of it. I can fix it. There are other examples in the Word of God for this. Most of these you know pretty well. Adam had light, didn't he? The, The light that Adam had was do not eat from the tree. That was the light, right? That was really all the all that he needed. Everything else, go out there and do. Do not eat from the tree in the center of the garden. There were no laws about sacrifice. Didn't have to sacrifice. There was no sin. The only thing you had to do was do not eat from the tree. And so that's all the light that they had to walk in. And what's the devil come do? Let's take that light and let's just put a cover over that light. Has God really said? Abraham light had light. He had the light of the promise. I will make you a father of many nations. And yet constantly we see him wrestling with this. But I have no children. Constantly he's battling this because the enemy is coming against the light. The light that he has is, I will bless you. I will make you, uh, your, your, your uh, descendants abundant, like the sand of the shore, like the stars in the heaven. Joshua was promised the presence of God and the strength of God. 
And every time he would go out into battle, he could go over that promise. Here's what God has told me. I can be victorious. Joshua, be strong and of good courage. God promised that he would be with him. And he gave him that light. All he had to do whenever he faced the battle, whenever he faced something going on and what was there, is to take out the light that he had, which was be strong and of good courage, for I am with you. That's all he had to do is bring that out. He had that. David, when David was anointed king, what was the word that God gave him? Now think about this. When Saul was anointed king, did God give him a word? Sure did. Samuel had a word for him. When um, Jeroboam was anointed king, didn't God have a word for him? You follow me you follow me all the days of your life, I'll make of you an enduring nation. God gave him light. God gave him words. When we see that an anointing went out, there was a word that came, but we come to the David, and David, you know, the brothers are up there. And God says, no, 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 no. And do you have any more sons? Yeah, we got one more. We bring him one up. And God says, this is the one. And it just, all it says is they anointed him. And yet, I can't find a time in the Word of God where God just anointed somebody. He anointed him, and the prophet had a word for him. And he would say something and speak something. I'll bet David had something spoken over his life. Now, look at what David went through. David went through all that stuff with Saul. David went through all that stuff with the people. David went, went through rejection from the people, rejection from Saul, rejection from his family, rejection from so many people. But he kept going. He kept going. What was the word that God spoke to him that gave him life? I don't know. But that's one of my questions when I get to heaven. I'm going to ask David, David, what was the word that you got? Apparently, it's not important for us to know. It's not in the word of God. It's not recorded. We would love it to be. But how many other people were given light? And some of them held on to that light and some of them turned it down. Some of them went, went away from it. Now think about this. God has given you light in your life. Don't let it go. I'm going to give you some examples on this. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, just uh, you know, be thinking about it. How many of you have taken a job because God said, take this job? Because you felt in your spirit, this is the good. This is what I'm supposed to do. And you took the job. And then as you took the job, as you got in there, don't raise your hand. How many of you faced trouble? Problems in that job that caused you to want to say, why did I take this job? You see, what happens is, God gives you light in the situation and the enemy comes along and tries to get you to cover it up. I don't think God actually told me to take this job. I think I missed God. And so what happens is I don't walk in that light anymore. I walk in something else. Sometimes, you know, people are married and uh, they get married. Do you feel that God is leading you in this direction? Oh, yes, I know. I know they're the one. God has led me to this one. And a year later, can't stand that person. Miss God. What happened? Somebody covered up their light. They covered. They were walking in light, but as soon as you cover it up, it can't. It can't help you anymore. It's covered. Doesn't matter if the light's still there. It's covered. I can't see it. God tells you to make a life decision. 
and you're supposed to go out there and to do this particular thing and you get out there and things are not going well. Things are not going good. I thought this would be smoother. I thought God was in this. See, I have what God said to me. He spoke to my spirit. And I'm shining the light. But after a while, I don't think I, I think I miss God. I don't think something's not right. And I, I cover the light. I cover the light. And then I be, I fall into uncertainty. And then I start making decisions that aren't based on that light anymore. If I took a job and God told me to take it, I then quit that job and go take another one. But I did it in the darkness, not in the light. I thought it was darkness. I thought it was light. But it's darkness. Because God had given me light before. And I didn't stay with that light. I went after another light. You see, God has given you light. He's given you illumination. He has illuminated your way. He has shown you, here is what you need. Now the devil is going to come in and he's going to continually try and cover that light. Get you to cover that light. He's going to keep telling you, has God really said? Don't you think you missed it on this one a little bit? Jeroboam walked away from the light that God gave him and then God rejected him as being king. God said, I'll I'll make you a king forever just like I did with David. But he didn't walk in the light that he had. As you meditate on this for the rest of the day, think of some stories in the Word of God that you know where people turned the light off. I had light, but I covered it up. Didn't let it shine in my in my life anymore. And you see, it doesn't matter if that word came to you one year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. It doesn't make any difference. What did God say? Walk in the light of that. Stay walking in the light of that. Josiah walked in the light of what he had in the beginning. He walked in the light of what he gained as he walked away, walked, walked, walked on. And then one day, something came up on the inside of him and he decided not to walk in that light anymore. He wasn't careful with how he heard. And he walked out into a battle that he was warned, if you come out here, you'll die. And he went out there anyway. Be careful with how you hear. Take the light that God has given you and let it shine on your path. Don't turn it off. Don't cover it up. Don't keep it from its purpose. The light that God has given you will keep you out of confusion, out of fear, out of anxiety, out of worry. Just stay with it. Now, one more example for you. Do you remember Gideon? Remember God came to him and gave him a word? Mighty man of valor. And every time he heard that, he tried to turn it off. I am not. I'm I'm of the weakest tribe, the weakest family. I'm just the weakest. Got nothing. God kept coming to him. Mighty man of valor. You see, that was to be light for him. And every time that the enemy came to him and told him, you're no good, you're nothing. He was supposed to take that word that God gave him and shine it. Mighty man of valor. 
and shine that light into his situation. And it would drive out the darkness. It would drive out the shadows. It would eliminate the confusion, the worry, and the fear. When he shined that light, he would become the man of faith that God had called him to be. Now God has called you to be something. And he has given you light in order to get there. Don't cover up the light. Whatever light God has given you, it's important that you hang on to it. You don't let it get extinguished. You don't let it get covered up. You don't let it get put under some piece of furniture, hide it because you're embarrassed about it. You keep it out. This is what God has said. And when people come across your path, and they begin to tell you things about your body, about your mind, about the people that you're around, you go back to the light that God has given you. What did God say? What is the light that I have from God? Here's a problem that people do. Instead of shining the light that God has given me, I shine the light that I've received from the enemy, which is darkness. Listen to the words of some people. I feel like a failure. Is that God? I feel like everything is going wrong. I feel like God doesn't care about me. I feel like God doesn't love me. I'm taking what the enemy has given me and I'm speaking it out of my mouth. And I'm proclaiming it as light. You see, my eyes have let the wrong thing in. And instead of bringing in light and illuminating my body, I have brought in darkness. And so out of my mouth comes darkness. Out of my mouth comes the wrong things. Stay with the light that God has given you. Don't let it go. Understand, just as Jesus gave the parable, there's going to be temptation to take that light and to cover it up. Don't cover it. Know what God has spoken to you. Know what light you have from his word. Hang on to that light. Don't let it go. Would you stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the light that you have given to us. You have given us light. You have spoken words to us. You have told us what we need to illuminate the shadows out of our way for where it is that you have us going. The word that you spoke to us may be short, may be concise, but it is all that we need. I thank you for the words that you have spoken to us. I thank you for the word that we have that is written and the illumination that you have given us from it. Armed with these lights, we can take on whatever it is that's in this world. We don't have to become failures. We don't have to not do what you said to do. Become fearful, confused, anxious, 
or fret about anything. Because every time one of those things comes in, the enemy is trying to get us to not put our light on it, but to walk away from that. If we will hang on to our light and let it illuminate our way, we will not be overcome with darkness. We will not falter in the place that you have us going. We will accomplish the purpose that you have given us. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Every head bowed. If you're here and thinking as we're going through this, I have let some light that I have received go. God has spoken to me and given me some direction in my job. I've let it go. Perhaps you've allowed another light to come in and you're on the direction that God wants you to be. But this other light is illuminating a different way. Whatever it might be, you're seeing that it is possible that I could be following a wrong light or I could have covered up the light that I have. If either of those things describe you today, raise your hand. I want to pray over, over you. Father God, you see the hands that are raised on these. I thank you that you speak to each one of us to renew us on the light you have given us just as you did for Abraham. You kept coming to him and renewing him on the light that you had given. Sometimes we want new revelation, but often we just need to renew what we know, what light we have been given for our situation. I thank you for the light that comes to them. They will stay the course, do the thing that you have called them to do. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Victor. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Uh, thank you for being in church today. And uh, for those that are joining us by way of the internet, we appreciate your presence. Um, we've always come here and the Lord has been gracious to us uh, whenever we gather here to share his heart with us by the help of the Holy Spirit and um, through our pastor. And we are really glad that God has spoken to us today. And one thing I learned, or one thing I really received in my spirit, was that um, let the light always overcome darkness. You know, um, he will be revealing himself, giving us a light different, in different areas of our lives, um, in academics, in your finances, your health, and so many other aspects of your life. Make sure that the light should overcome darkness as he gives you 
um, go for more and always go back for more. And the Lord will always keep revealing himself. Hallelujah. And we have some, so many, um, some wonderful testimonies here today. Um, one I want to share from Nigeria. There was a friend of, a friend of mine I sent a text yesterday. Um, I was just meditating and I felt I should send that message out. Um, in the book of Isaiah 33 verse 24, scripture says, and the inhabitant shall not see. I am sick. That is talking about Zion. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. So I wrote to him, I said, in the scientific community, when they encounter an obstacle to a breakthrough, what they do is that they go for more research. They go to find out more. Why have I not got through this? I, I think that is how we got about electricity. When Thomas Edison did so many, attempted so many times and he couldn't break through, you know, to discover light and Finally, something came out of it. So now I said in the church, we find many who are plagued with all manner of diseases, contrary to scriptures. And instead of going for more research into God's provisions for our healing, you know, for his children, many times we look away and focus on other things. Um, so he, this morning he responded. <laughs> he said, do you know, that my boy was spiking temperature yesterday night um, when this message came in. I asked my wife to hold on because the wife is a nurse, so probably he was waiting for the medical side of it. I confessed the scripture, and today my son is perfectly well. Hallelujah. You know, he said, thank you for the scriptures. It was timely and all of that. And he said, sometimes we could actually be spiritually lazy. So these are things that God um, is helping us to eat in this house, and I feel we we, sh- we should use them in our lives. Hallelujah. Sister Susan said um, we had a good trip to Virginia. The family time was a blessing, um, although it was a sad occasion. I'm so thankful for all that God uh, provided for us throughout the travel. Hallelujah. We're happy to have them back with us again. Amen. Uh, announcement from Sister uh, Alicia. June 28th is at night. Uh, this month will be patriotic team project. Uh, for those that will pay in advance, it's $10. And if you want to pay as you're walking in, um, it's going to be $12. And if you need more information on this, please see Sister Alicia for, uh, for that. And if you want to reserve a spot for the event. Um, Saturday will be men's breakfast meeting and to be by 8 o'clock, and we encourage all men to be in, in church so that we can share fellowship together. Hallelujah. Have a good day, and have a good rest of the week. God bless you all. Amen.